Engaging Leader, Episode 130, The Storyteller's Secret, Why Some Ideas Catch On and Others Don't, featuring Carmine Gallo. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Storytelling is the act of framing an idea as a narrative to inform, illuminate, and inspire. From Steve Jobs to Sheryl Sandberg to Richard Branson, successful leaders study and practice the art of storytelling in order to attract top talent, increase workforce engagement, and launch movements. In fact, in our work at Aspendale helping clients with their workforce communications, storytelling is almost always a component of the overall strategy. Now, we've talked about the importance of storytelling for leaders on three previous episodes of Engaging Leader, but this is the first time we've ever dug into a whole book that focuses on this topic. In The Storyteller's Secret, From TED Speakers to Business Legends, Why Some Ideas Catch On and Others Don't, author Carmine Gallo explains how to use storytelling and its power to build emotional connections to make a difference rather than fall on deaf ears. The ability to package ideas into a compelling story is one of the most proven skills that makes leaders successful. Carmine Gallo is a communication coach for some of the world's most admired brands, including Intel, Coca-Cola, Cisco, Google, Disney, and more. He writes the Forbes.com column, My Communications Coach. He's the author of seven books, including the bestseller that we discussed in Engaging Leader episode 87, Talk Like Ted, The Nine Public Secrets. The Nine Public Speaking Secrets of the World's Top Minds. Carmine Gallo, welcome back to Engaging Leader. Oh, thank you, Jesse. Thanks for inviting me back. Carmine, for business leaders around the world, there's a growing realization of the importance of storytelling. Tell us about that aha moment that made you realize your next book should focus on this topic. Well, I had written a popular communication book called Talk Like Ted. Uh, which you and I have talked about. So it's not, it wasn't necessarily about the TED conference, but it was all about how these TED speakers have really raised the, the standard. The, I call it the gold standard now of public speaking. Within the TED book, there is a chapter uh, on storytelling, how some of the best TED speakers are actually great storytellers. And that chapter of my previous book seemed to catch on. And I had heard a lot about storytelling in business. A, a marketer once told me that he thinks the biggest trend in marketing today is storytelling. Now, when I, had to, when I thought about it, I said to myself, well, that's, that's what I do. That's what I've been studying for 25 years. I call it communication, but in essence, it's actually storytelling. So the story that you're referring to, uh, again, these were just ideas in my head. It hadn't gelled yet. I was invited to a conference, a very elite, uh, prestigious conference by a billionaire venture capitalist named Vinod Kosla. And Vinod knows everybody. And so Bill Gates was also speaking at the conference. Sergey Brin and Larry Page from Google, uh, the, uh, the CEO of Salesforce, uh, Twitter. I mean, all the, a lot of movers and shakers. Mm. 
And so I was at this conference and there was a point at which I was looking around and thinking to myself, now this is where it becomes vulnerable, you know, where I, <laughs> I've got a little humility. I'm like, I, I, I haven't cured, you know, I haven't come up with solutions to cure smallpox or malaria in third world countries like Bill Gates or, you know, and I'm looking around, there was the former um, Prime Minister, Tony Blair, former Prime Minister of England. And I, and I really started getting a little crisis of confidence. Well, what am I doing here? Why did he invite, invite me to speak? Hmm. And then, then Vinod Kosla gets up on stage and he's addressing most of the people in the audience who were his, the CEOs of companies that he was funding. He's a big venture capital guy. Right. And he said, all of you are brilliant, which is why I invest in you. But none of you know how to tell a good story which is why I brought Carmine here to help you with that. And that's when I realized, uh-huh, you could be br – that was my aha moment, okay? Because you can be brilliant. You can have great ideas. But if you cannot communicate your idea in a way that is compelling and gripping and emotionally involving, where people do want to back you and work with you, then who cares? What does that idea matter? Now, for – Purposes of business and leadership, Carmine, how do you define storytelling? Well, a story is simply a beginning, middle, and an end. Okay, uh, but boy meets girl, they fall in love, they get married. That, that, that's a story. Mm -hmm. But a, a compelling or transformative story takes you places. There's tension, there's conflict. Uh, and then it ends with some sort of, of triumph or resolution of that conflict. Uh, that's why... People, writers like Nicholas Sparks can sell 100 million books because he doesn't just tell a love story. He tells a gripping love story, even though you know how it's going to end. <laughs> you have to go through the uh, – so there, there is a template. There's a formula by which great stories are told, uh, whether it's in movies. Okay? There's a reason why Rocky works on your brain. It has a dramatic arc that is unlike most movies. You've got to start with the, uh, the uh, protagonist in a very low position, and you have to have that protagonist rise to, you know, rise to a height, triumph over struggle, and, and also learn something and be transformed. So great movies, great books, uh, any type of entertainment all kind of follow this formula. And they do follow a formula that goes back for centuries, all the, all the great writings. So the point is we can apply this formula in our own businesses. I go back to one of my first books, which was The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was a brilliant storyteller. That's why his presentations were called Steve Notes. They were gripping. When he introduced Macintosh in 1984, he had a villain. He called it the force. He even called it the force. He called it the dark force. The dark force was a competitor, IBM, which in the narrative had just gotten into the PC market and was bent on world domination. Those were the words he was using. What, only one you know, only one hero could stand in its way, and that is Apple. You know, <laughs> the, the way the presentation was built out was like a movie. And in fact, Ridley Scott, the guy who did The Martian, uh, was the person who Steve Jobs tapped to create that first famous 
uh, Macintosh ad. So Steve Jobs understood the power of narrative. If you look at all of his presentations, they were actually stories. They were narratives. It wasn't just like all, all the most of the rest of us. What do we do? Hey, here's a new product we're really excited about. Here's a 60-slide PowerPoint presentation <laughs> with a whole bunch of bullet points and words. And all of the features, I'm going to spend the next hour telling you about the features of the product. That's completely opposed to what to how Steve Jobs introduced products. His was dramatic narrative, heroes, villains, problems uh, to overcome, struggles to overcome, and finally, uh, you know, the, the hero emerges victorious at the end. The hero being the product. Does storytelling always require sort of an audiovisual nature and or a, or a book length sort of story or is it sometimes a lot simpler than that well sometimes it's a lot simpler sometimes it's as easy as telling personal stories a lot of people in business today although it's changing a little bit but a lot of people in business shy away from being uh, they think it's too vulnerable just telling personal stories of struggle and hardship well, in the research that I've done, and we've come out, and in the last 10 years, we have a lot of research into neuroscience, we're actually hardwired to love stories of rags to riches. We're hardwired to find meaning in those stories. That's why almost every movie has to have a happy ending, Jesse. Yeah, you may <laughs> think it's formulaic, but it almost has to. Otherwise, you will not be satisfied. We need to see somebody going through a struggle and emerging victorious at the end and having learned something at the end that we that makes us better people. That's why personal stories work so well. Let me give you one example if I can. Sure. Sheryl Sandberg is the COO of Facebook. Most of your listeners are familiar with the movement she triggered, Lean In. Yes. Well, I argue in Storyteller's Secret, you would never have heard of Lean In had it not been for personal story. She gave a TED Talk, which she later acknowledged was going to be chock full of data and no personal stories. She's a data head. She loves facts and statistics. She had a whole ream of statistics about women in the workplace. Well, a friend of her, a friend of her, Sheryl Sandberg's pulled her aside and said, you seem a little out of sorts today before the conference. What, what's going on? Oh, you know, I, I had to come here. I had to travel here from California. My daughter was screaming. She was pulling my leg. She was crying. And the friend said, you have to open up and you have to share your own stories of challenge as a working mother. That's how you're going to connect with people. And Sheryl Sandberg said, my friend was absolutely right. She, she, she acknowledged that that's why that particular talk uh, took off. And if you watch her talk, I think it's called Why We Have So Few Women Leaders. Um, about 70% of it, based on my analysis, was was story, hmm. personal stories, uh, her personal story and other personal stories. So the easiest way you can apply what we're talking about today is include more personal stories in your presentation. And the personal stories don't always have to be rags to riches. But if you have had some kind of struggle and you've overcome that struggle and you learn something from it, that could be a business struggle too. It doesn't have to be, you know, skeletons in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that is, what's, that is what people will remember and that's how people will connect with you. 
But obviously, you have to make it relevant to the theme of your presentation. I mean, we all get that. That's going to be assumed with your audience. Uh, but yeah, telling personal stories is very powerful. Very few people do it. So what makes a good story? You, you referenced a little bit of the, the sort of Rocky template, if you will. And um, I was thought it was one thing very interesting, the template that uh, that Pixar sort of uses. It's, it's, I'm maybe overstating it to call it a, a template, but it's, it's interesting some of those themes that are recurring from truly great stories. Yes, absolutely. There are, uh, Pixar, the outline that you're referring to is more of a seven-step process, which I actually have in the book. It's a little more detailed. Um, I think it's a little complex for many people, although if you want to follow it, it's there. What I did in the book, and it was really interesting, if you take a look at Malala Yousafzai, Mm -hmm. the the, the great Nobel Prize winner, the youngest Nobel Prize winner, take a look at her Nobel Prize winning acceptance speech. It perfectly mirrors the seven-step Pixar process, almost perfectly. So your point is a good one. Your point is that great movie makers understand the steps. There's a simpler way of doing it. There is a simpler way instead of the seven steps. Look at any story that you're going to deliver. It could be a product story. It could be a personal story. In three steps. Every movie actually has three steps. And they are, the first has to be the setup. So the beginning of your presentation or your story has to be the world as it is. Just paint the hero's world as it is. The second step has to be the conflict. That's where you're going to introduce the problem. The third step will be the final resolution, where the hero battles villain and overcomes the villain, and life is so much better because of it. So those are the three steps, the setup, the conflict, the resolution. Every great movie, and I've, I've done a lot of studying, and I've read a lot and talked to screenwriters, every commercially successful movie, almost every one, has to follow those three steps. Pixar takes it one step further, so there's a lot of steps in between those three steps. But uh, even Pixar movies, those are the three steps. Now, l- how do you apply that to business? Let's not get too abstract here. How do you apply that to business? Okay, let's say I'm introducing a new product. The first step is going to be, here is the status quo. Here is the world as it is today. And your audience member, uh, whether it's a, uh, a customer or a larger audience, will be nodding in agreement. Yes, that's the way we do things today. Ah, but there's a problem with that. Now you introduce the villain. That's step two. The villain in a product presentation or pitch is the problem, the problem that needs to be overcome. The third step is going to be, okay, now I'm going to introduce the hero, the product, and here's how we're going to solve this problem. Here's how we're going to conquer Goliath. Here's how we're going to fell Goliath. Um, here's the rock we're going to use in the slingshot. And the world will, this is how the world will be a better place because of my product. That three-step process, Jesse, is almost irresistible. It really is. Hmm. It's interesting that in the first part of the book, you spend a lot, a lot of time talking about people's stories that they tell themselves. So I'm a leader, and I'm, uh, there's actually a story I tell myself before I even craft a story to tell the world. Why is it important to look at that so, so carefully? You know, there's a lot of psychology to it, Jesse, because... You cannot inspire other people. And this really does all get back down to inspiration. 
how do I elicit enthusiasm from someone else for my idea or who I am? You cannot inspire unless you're inspired yourself about that particular product or a calling that you have. I found that all of the great storytellers in business today and in history have, have really been called to do what they do. They have a real passion for it. Uh, they have a connection to the topic. So I think anyone can learn the techniques of being a better storyteller, but I think that that a real emotional connection really only happens when someone has a very deep connection to their, their story. But when, you, when we talk specifically about reframing the narrative in your mind, I realized that a lot of great storytellers were not born. Great storytellers <laughs> are made. They are not born. Uh, some of the greatest speakers in history – Martin Luther King. I did some analysis and it was fascinating. By the time he gave his I Have a Dream speech, which is what everybody remembers him by, he had already given something like 5,000 speeches wow. um, over wow. many, many, many years. And that's why he was able the, – the I Have a Dream sequence was not in the original script. It was ad-libbed. Uh, but he didn't just ad-lib it from, from nothing. He didn't just come up with it on the spot. He had so much experience connecting different parts of different speeches. So the point – and Ronald Reagan the same way. You can find almost any great communicator and they, they built up to it. There's a lot of practice and a lot of rehearsal. Uh, that Great communicators are not born. They're made. That was my big revelation in all of this. Even, even Steve Jobs, who was an incredibly nervous communicator when he was young in the 1970s, at least to external audiences, he improved over time in a big way. There is one person in the book who I've actually uh, spoken to a couple of times, fascinating person, and that's the pastor, Joel Osteen. Now, it's not a religious book, of course, but the point of Osteen's presence is that Joel Osteen has become uh, a mega pastor. I mean, he's, he's one of the most famous pastors in the world. He reaches something like 10 uh, or he's in a hundred countries. Uh, he reaches tens of millions of people through his video uh, television broadcasts every, every week. But here's the interesting thing. Joel Osteen has admitted to me, and he's very public about this, that for 17 years, 17 years, he did not want to preach. <laughs> he was perfectly content working behind the scenes. He's an introvert. That's something he was very open about with me. He said, hey, look, I'm, I'm introvert. I don't feel comfortable in front of a big stage. Totally surprising. Isn't that interesting? Yes. And, he, he, and that's not exaggerated. I mean, he's, he's told me that several times already. Uh, and he's very open about it, which I think is cool. You know, someone who's it's okay to show some vulnerability there. But he said, I was so nervous the first week because my dad was a preacher and he wanted me to preach. And he goes, I was so nervous. He goes, I had a terror. It was the worst week of my life before I knew I would preach. I got up to that lectern. I was shaking. I just held onto it really tight. So what did, but now today, okay, something like 15 years later, Jesse, the man is selling out Yankee Stadium. So how do you go from, and this is what I asked him, how do you go from being so nervous that you never even wanted to get in front of people, that you were, uh, that it was the worst week of your life, the first time you had to speak in front of an audience, 15 years later, you're speaking in front of 50,000 at Yankee Stadium. How do you do that? And he told me it starts with the way you talk to yourself, hmm. the story you tell yourself. 
how do you reframe the way you see yourself? Do you talk down to yourself? Do you talk negative about yourself? I'll never be a great speaker. I'll never be a persuasive. I'll never be the kind of person people want to hear from. Or do you change that light switch instantly and start seeing yourself and talking to yourself as someone who is worthy of that kind of attention? It is psychological. And we know that there are a lot of great leaders now, very successful leaders who were terrified of public speaking when they were young. Barbara Corcoran. I mean, and these are all people who have told me personally and who have said it publicly. Barbara Corcoran, Warren Buffett, terrified of public speaking. He dropped out of his first public speaking course. He took a public <laughs> speaking course and he dropped out because he was afraid to get up and speak. Warren Buffett, Joe Lowstein, I mean, Elon Musk. Elon Musk has publicly acknowledged he was terrified of public speaking, still doesn't, isn't comfortable with it. Richard Branson. So again, all of these people, though, have become, and they're in my book, they've become good storytellers, some great storytellers, but they have to overcome that initial fear. And it, it, all, ta it all comes back to how you speak to yourself. It really is kind of reframing our own internal story. I, I can't be a confident speaker, Jesse, until I'm confident in my own head, right? Yeah, and it was interesting that you pointed out that when you are looking at your own story, and figuring out how to reframe it into a narrative that often those negative parts that could be holding, could have held you back, ends up being that conflict that actually makes a good story, a good personal story to begin with. It's what set, ends been, up setting you apart. I should have interviewed you before the book. That's a great insight. <laughs> <laughs> good insight, but that's exactly it. Yes. And, and it's that conflict that people have to work through. Um, Shonda Rhimes, she's not in my book, but she's just recently been very popular. Shonda Rhimes is the producer and the creator of Grey's Anatomy. And she wrote a very popular book, and she just recently gave a TED Talk uh, in TED 2016 on the, her year of saying yes. Her year of saying yes. She, too, acknowledges terrified in public speaking. So here is one of the most influential producers on television today, terrified of getting in front of an audience. But her year of saying yes was all about, I'm going to say yes to those things that, that make me afraid, that I fear. And she realized by challenging herself and actually overcoming her fear and just doing it, she actually became a much more confident speaker. So within about two years uh, from the time she started saying yes to taking public speaking uh, um, you know, events, she's gone from being terrified to giving uh, commencement addresses, and taking a TED stage. So it can be overcome. It can be overcome. But uh, you, I, I really believe you cannot inspire others until you're inspired yourself about the topic and you're inspired to share it with other people. I've been I've been studying communication for 25 years, and I've interviewed billionaires and, and motivational and celebrities and a lot of very famous people. And to a person, every single one who's an interesting communicator, who's intriguing, who's compelling, like someone you just have to listen to, they are inspired themselves about the topic. So it really, it does start in your, in your head, those six inches between your ears. <laughs> the book provides a whole bunch of secrets uh, that make up a communication toolbox. And in writing the book, you illustrate those secrets to us through stories of great storytellers and you, you organize them into generally five basic types of storytellers. Can you help us understand what those five types are? 
Yeah, I believe that there are all the storytellers in my book, uh, let's say about 35 of them. Uh, there's a few more if you just take a look at within each chapter. But there are some main people who I focus on in each chapter. And I tell their story in a way that I, I, I like to look at it as narrative, where every chapter starts with somebody like a, a guy named Mark who came to America with the equivalent of $200 in his pocket and his first job was a nanny. His second job was selling T-shirts on Venice, at Venice Beach, California. That was his job. He literally sold $12 T-shirts. Uh, today, Mark Burnett is one of the most influential producers in television history because he made Survivor, launched the reality television genre, does uh, um, The Voice and many, many others. Uh, but Mark Burnett specifically says, and I've talked to I've interviewed him a, a couple of times, he says specifically that it was his ability to pitch ideas and to tell stories behind his ideas that help make him successful. So that's the way I approach the book. I look at it as an, okay, let me look at all these storytellers who I'm interviewing. Uh, I will tell their stories in a way that hopefully is uh, inspiring and gripping for the reader, but also what can we learn from them? And I found that Every single one of them, all of them are great storytellers, but they all fell into several categories. They were storytellers who, like Joe Osteen, inspire us to be better people. So that's the first category, people who ignite our imagination. And then there are others who are better at educating, like Brian Stevenson, who gave a TED Talk. He's a human rights attorney, and he gave a TED Talk that became uh, or launched one of the longest standing ovations of any TED Talk in history. Uh, and he's a, he's a great storyteller, and he talks about the importance of narrative. He's, a, he's a, a, a lawyer who actually wins Supreme Court cases. But he's more of an educator because he talked about stories and how they educate. Uh, people like Bill Gates have to simplify complex information. So that's another category, storytellers who simplify. Um, then there's storytellers who uh, entertain. There are storytellers who launch movements. That's, for example, like Sheryl Sandberg or Malala Yousafzai. Uh, these are people who launched an entire movement that people know uh, and yet did that through the power of narrative or story. You know, it's interesting, that story of Mark Burnett that you tell. Yeah. And from his very first job in the U.S. as a nanny, he was completely unqualified for it. And he had to tell, on, his, on the trip over, he basically came up with the narrative in his head for how he was going to explain why they should hire him for that job. And he says that every position that he's had since then has been the result of being an effective storyteller making a pitch yeah. and even at once he had achieved huge success with survivor still when he would come up with an idea for a different reality tv show he in every single occasion he had naysayers and he had to uh, come up with the, the right story the right pitch that would actually sell and, and uh, oftentimes it didn't until he figured out how to say it differently exactly and he would use his friends as a sounding board or a focus groups and his friends would say, oh, gosh, Mark, that, that's way too long, or you've lost me. And he would go back and refine the pitch. And sometimes the pitch wouldn't work. Um, uh, th there were many examples of 
shows that we now think are, are great shows, very famous shows, that originally the pitch didn't work. And so Mark Burnett, for example, had to refine the pitch when he went to another television network. What's amazing to me, and I'm sure most of your listeners already know this, uh, but I learned that no matter how famous you are, you still have to pitch. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. There's a lot of money on the line, and these people don't just automatically sign, sign up for some of, the, some of your ideas. I also realized by interviewing people like Mark Burnett or um, Sarah Blakely, the uh, founder of Spanx is also in the book, and many others, naysayers outnumber people who are positive by a long shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, so you really have to, you have to have confidence about who you are and about your product or your idea because, and, and this does get back to psychology and there's some psychology in the book that it's a lot easier uh, for us to just agree with the status quo and not rock the boat rather than challenging ourselves to think differently, which is why we are attracted to people like Steve Jobs because they are so different because psychologically we actually don't want to rock the boat. We want to be accepted socially. It's actually really, really hard to break out of our, uh, our set patterns and see things differently. Which is why people like Elon Musk and Steve Jobs, they, they capture our imagination because there's, they're actually few and far between. But they're all good storytellers. I've got a great chapter in the book on Elon Musk. What a wonderful storyteller. When he introduces a new product, he speaks for a very TED-like 15 minutes. A 15-minute presentation on complex products. Very few words on his slides. It's all about the problems and the solution. Villain, hero, villain, hero. Very simple. He even uses language that's more around grade level language um, rather than complex language, even though he's literally a rocket scientist. He's a good storyteller. So it's interesting how there are these major movers and shakers who uh, have decided that story is everything. And maybe I'm overstating that. No, you're not, though, Jesse. That's, that's, I would have said, okay, we're overstating it a few years ago. I think I would have said that. Um, but I, I can point to a blog post that just came out a few uh, just recently by uh, Richard Branson. And the headline of the blog post is Entrepreneurs are Storytellers. He said you can't be a great entrepreneur today unless you have learned to pitch your idea effectively in the form of story. So, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if we are overstating. Maybe not. But it's interesting how many, let's call, let's call them middle managers, doubt that, that uh, they, they really feel a lot more comfortable just throwing a slide up with a bunch of data on it and uh, believing that that is what's going to carry the day. It's, it's easy. You know, it's, it's the default mechanism. Remember what we said at the beginning of this conversation. Storytellers are not born. They're made. But it does take a while to get there for some of these people. I mean, I'm showing you people who are have already had years of uh, practice and experience and really thinking through narrative. Uh, that's Those are the people we see. You don't see the years and years of working at it that they had to put in. Uh, so it, it it's work. You know, it is work. And I, I try to simplify it as best as possible. So I show you very specific techniques that you can apply in your very next presentation. But yeah, the default is much easier. It really is. I, I would love just to pull up a PowerPoint and write in a few bullets and have people read the slide. That's easy. Yeah. That's, it's easy. You know, so yeah, it's really hard to overcome that. 
I mean, but it it's it's harder to create the story, but it's a lot more effective because you when you just try to rely on facts and figures, uh, you're hoping that the logic will carry the day and people are not actual we think we're rational beings but we're actually emotional beings and there is a lot of neuroscience especially in the last 10 years that reinforces exactly what you said uh advertisers have known this long before the average business managers know this which is why advertisers are brilliant at triggering the right kind of chemical reaction in your brain to make you want to buy a product. (laughs) But it still comes down to narrative. Uh, I have some research in the book that shows the highest rated Super Bowl ads during at least one year in which it was studied uh, is a narrative ad, uh, an ad that actually has characters that you want to root for and conflict. And so we think in narrative, everything about the way we process the world is actually a narrative, Uh, which is why I don't want to get political, but which is why it's easy. uh, Sometimes you get these candidates who have to paint a villain, whether it's the system being rigged against you or whether it's the generic, you know, illegal immigrants that are taking your jobs. The point is they, they all craft these narratives, and the more compelling the villain, the, the more you want to listen to them. That doesn't mean their argument won't break down eventually, but you listen to them because they craft things in, in a form in which this is the way our brain works. We think in narrative. We communicate in narrative. We, we just don't know it. We, you don't know that's what you're doing. <laughs> but all the, a lot of the research has shown that in order to connect with people, you need to connect with them emotionally. How do you do that? You do that through narrative, through story. And that's the way your brain actually processes information as well. That's why every great story from the beginning of time has to have a villain, a villain that is conquered. It has to have a feel-good uh, story at the end. Uh, you really It needs to go from rags to riches. Uh, not necessarily in every case, but the most commercially successful goes from rags to riches. Carmine, who does storytelling apply to? Who is it particularly important to use? Is it, are we mainly talking about CEOs or people in public uh, speaking roles, or is it a, are there a broader a- applicability? Uh, much broader. Everybody in business today, storytelling is your ticket to getting a better job. The story you tell a recruiter, the story you tell the person who's interviewing you and how you craft the narrative of your experience. Storytelling is the secret and the ticket to engaging teams. Steve Wynn, who I who I have in the book, I have an entire chapter on Steve Wynn, who is the, the Las Vegas hotel mogul. He says, storytelling changed my business and my life uh, because it's, it's the secret to engaging and motivating teams of employees. So if you're a manager, it certainly applies to you. If you're in any way pitching an idea uh, to anybody, uh, the more you can craft it in, in the form of narrative, the more compelling that's going to be. So whether you're looking for a job, building a brand, selling a product, uh, or engaging or motivating teams, storytelling applies to you. Well, the book, again, is The Storyteller's Secret, Why Some Ideas Catch On and Others Don't. Carmine, where can people find out more about this book and about your work? We have a URL specifically for the book called storytellersecret.com. Or if you remember my name, 
uh, it's a good Italian name. You know, it's hard to forget. CarmineGallo.com <laughs> also goes to uh, the same website. But StorytellersSecret.com will take you to the book page. It's available everywhere, uh, wherever books are sold, uh, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, all sorts of retailers. And it's coming out internationally as well. And we already have about 10 foreign rights permissions locked up. And it's uh, going to be a lead title in the UK as well. Oh, fantastic. Well, Carmine Gallo, great to have you back on the show. It's been a lot of fun. Well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. All right, Engagers. Hey, I encourage you to get The Storyteller Secret by Carmine Gallo. It's a fun book to read, and it's packed with tips and ideas that will make you a better leader and more successful at work, with your family, and in other areas of life. We'll provide the information and links that Carmine mentioned on our show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 130 as in episode 130. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with midsize and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Terrence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.